0: If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, this is the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father in heaven, thank you that we can come before you, and we can open your word freely, that we can rejoice in your revelation to us. Lord, give us hearts to hear and uh, longing to obey you. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we ask this in the name of Jesus, Amen. Hopefully I won't have to clear my voice too much. Apparently I yelled too much uh, yesterday at the wedding. <clears throat> Didn't think I did, but I wore it out a little bit, I guess. Well, you all know what a worry wart is, right? You've heard that word before? Worry wart. It's a person who worries habitually or incessantly. They just worry all the time. And I don't really know where that term came from. I did, I did do a word search on it and I did a little, you know, for etymology, I tried to figure out how did, where did this even come from, and it was a little uh, complicated, it wasn't really clear, uh, but it appeared at least one reason that I found was, uh, I guess it had to do with warts being annoying, and apparently people who worry all the time can be that. Well, that was just one explanation I heard. There's some very unique ones, I, I did, some of them were really kind of strange, but, uh, and I don't think it means that worrying gives you warts, right? I mean, everybody here knows it's from picking up frogs anyway, so. Um, but, you know, so it, it comes from a virus, of course, uh, but worry is proven to be bad for your physical health. We all know that. It's it's not good for your body, and as we will see, it's not good uh, for your spiritual health either. I, uh, <clears throat> in the midst of this study, I found the cartoons that are on the notes there, uh, but I also found another one, and I, I thought it was really cute, I didn't put it on here, but uh, there's a a counselor sitting in a chair with a notepad and then his counselee is laying on the couch. You know, I don't know if they really do that, but you know, he's laying down and the counselor's asking him questions. And the counselor uh, said to the patient on the couch, or it wasn't a question in this case, you worry too much, it doesn't do you any good. And the patient said, oh, it does for me, 95% of the things I worry about never happen. <laughs> and that is indeed true. We do worry a lot about what will not and maybe cannot even happen. But we worry. And if, we, if worry were an Olympic sport, some of us would be medalists. I think I, I, think I would have been a gold medalist because uh, before uh, the Lord uh, got a hold of my heart and before I was converted, uh, believe me, I was, I, I was very good at worrying. In fact, uh, I trained myself in worry. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, it says we're to train ourselves in godliness, to exercise godliness, it says. But uh, as an unbeliever, I trained myself in worry. I was very good at it. And uh, if there had been a national worry organization, I probably would have been the poster child. Um, but praise the Lord that uh, one of the first things the Lord impressed upon me as a young believer uh, was that this was a huge issue in my life. And so I memorized this passage as a young believer, one of the first passages I memorized. And uh, the Lord continually reminds me of this, uh, not quite daily, probably almost. Um, and, I, and I praise him that uh, I was a worry wart uh, but the Lord has changed me to, be, to act more in faith. Now, some people worry more than others, of course. We all worry. Uh, at certain times, we worry even more. And uh, the Lord has an answer for that. Uh, we are not made to live like that. So first of all, <clears throat> why do we worry? What does this passage, anyway, say about the reasons that we are worriers? Why do we become worry Well, first of all, we worry because our treasure is in the wrong place. We, we don't understand what lasting treasure is. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up, it's a command, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up, another command, for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you know your treasure is laid up for you, where it cannot be destroyed, you don't need to worry about it, right? But if your treasure, if your treasure and your treasures are laid up here on earth, for example, in this text, if it's uh, like moth-eaten garments. Uh, back in the time of the Lord, uh, the number of garments you had was a measure of your wealth. If you had a lot of garments, you were extremely wealthy, you were an extremely wealthy person. So of course they worried about their garments getting moth eaten. Uh, or food being eaten away. This word rust here in the Greek actually means to be eaten away. So uh, it certainly applies to uh, food also. And uh, food or stored grain was another measure of wealth. And people worried about that. And uh, some, you know, it's you need food, so they worried a lot about that. And it was a measure of man's wealth. Or if your treasure is where... Uh, something else but it's where thieves can break in easily and steal it well you worry about that you know uh, somebody could get at that if they tried very hard but if your true treasure is kept in the most secure place that exists protected by the lord of hosts the lord of armies you sure don't need to worry about it if you would turn with me to luke chapter 12 i'd like to read a little bit from the parable of the uh, about the rich fool luke chapter 12 starting in verse 15 Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So life, as defined by the Lord Jesus Christ, is not according to our possessions. And he continues in verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, Well, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Emphasis on the my there, probably. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided or which, what you have stored up? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. True richness is laying up what God says is treasure. Now Luke 12, in verse 33, if you go down, <clears throat> says, sell what you have and give alms provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the true treasure, which cannot fail and is kept in heaven for us, is termed money bags which do not grow old. You know, an old money bag, you know, money can fall out, it can be worn out, but uh, it becomes a present joy, not a burden, not a burden that we have to worry about, and it becomes a future reward also. It's kept in heaven for us. Randy Alcorn wrote a book uh, called The Treasure Principle. I know some of you have read this, uh, this little little book. It's a, it was, it's a great blessing. Uh, the the uh, subtitle is called Discovering the Secret of Joyful Giving. I'd like to just very quickly go over the principles of this because it relates uh, to uh, all that we'll say today. First of all, he started the book, in the beginning of the book, he said, well, you can't take it with you. You know that expression. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I like that expression. But the first principle was God owns everything. I'm his money manager. Okay? We manage the assets he entrusts to us as stewards. And it's important to remember that it's all his. It's all his, and we should invest it as he desires. Secondly, my heart goes, always goes where I put my money. That's the principle that, uh, that I've read several times. My heart always goes where I put my money. So we should wisely allocate uh, our temporal blessings to invest in eternal things, which I'll mention about a little later. Our hearts follow what we treasure, and God wants our hearts. Thirdly, heaven, or the new earth, not the present one, uh, is my home. Heaven is my home. We are citizens of heaven, and citizens usually invest in their own country. They're going to invest, they're going to store up where they end up, where they want to end up anyway, and where their true home is. Fourth, I should live today not for the dot, but for the line. The dot is our present life here on earth, and the line goes on forever, invest for eternity. Fifthly, he said, giving is the only antidote to materialism, the only antidote to materialism. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person with a greater agenda. It dethrones me and it exalts him. And last of all, the last principle in the book is God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving. A great expression. God gives us more than we need, more than our necessities so we can give generously and lay up treasures in heaven. So these principles are also illustrated by a famous person, famous quote by a now famous person, Jim Elliott, who was martyred in Ecuador in in 1955, I believe. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And he was talking about the treasure of the gospel, but the principle is the same. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where your lasting treasure is kept. The treasure which does not fail, and you won't have to worry about it. Letter B, we worry because we are not generous with our treasure. Uh, Verses 22 and 23. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's very great. Now, the eye is the window which allows light, of course, to come into us, light to come into a room so you can see things. And the amount of light entering a person's heart and soul Uh, impacts his or her vision of the future, of course, his understanding of what is lasting and what is eternal and valuable. If we are blinded by our worry and not disposed to use our treasure here to help people for kingdom purposes, uh, that truly is darkness. It's a good definition of darkness. And there are two kinds of eyes listed here. There's the good eye and the bad eye. And in the context, actually the Greek word for good here means generous means generous and for bad means grudging that really helps to understand this passage if you remember that it means generous or grudging or an an ungenerous heart and it's used the same way in the old testament in proverbs 28 verse 22 it says a man with an evil eye or bad or ungenerous a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him a grudging spirit distorts our vision so we we just don't see what lasting treasure is Another verse in Proverbs, verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 9. He who has a generous eye, now we're talking about the good eye, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. So a person with a good eye or a generous eye will be blessed. So to paraphrase these two verses, if your heart is generous, then your whole life will be filled with light. And you'll see what, is, what treasure is, what true treasure is. If your heart is not generous, If you are not generous, you will be filled with darkness. And there's nothing like generosity, really, to give you a clear view of what is lasting, of the kingdom of the Lord, of people. And being grudging or ungenerous because we worry about our own needs so much uh, distorts our view of what is lasting and what is eternal. There are riches, treasures in heaven to those who are generous for God's glory. Proverbs 11 says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul said, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So a generous eye sees clearly because really they see more as our generous God sees. They see as he, more as he sees. Paul said to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So it's equating, it's uh, relating eternal life and having a good eye, a generous eye. So our generosity, our liberality now, has an impact on what we store up for eternity and on helping us to not become worry wards. Letter C, we worry because we try to serve two masters. We take our eyes off of our only master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the original meaning of mammon was... uh, that which was that which is entrusted. So you have an, an abundance, and you you give it to someone. You invest it somehow uh, that it can increase. So the original meaning was that which is entrusted, but gradually it changed. And uh, at the time the Lord used this, it was more often used for uh, that which that in which a man puts his trust. There's a big difference there. That in which a man puts his trust. In other words, to become his God. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, mature, complete, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. It's very clear. And come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So his possessions became his master. He became possessed by his possessions. And he couldn't follow the Lord. But we, brothers and sisters, we are to look to our only master, and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He should be our focus as we run the race set before us. He is the author of our faith. He is our master and the one who shows us the finish line. The finish line is where our eternal riches after that is being stored. Now, we are commanded in Hebrews 13, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself, the Lord Jesus himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So if we covet and we are not content, it is clear that we don't believe this promise, that we are not acting on this promise. And there's good reason to worry then. There's good reason to fear then too, if we stop looking to him. If we look to our master who is our ultimate treasure, we will not fear or worry about our future. Letter D, D, We worry because we misunderstand what true life is. Or we lose sight of that. We forget about that. Verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, certainly it is. But it's hard to see that in the world in which we have grown up. And in which we live and uh, where people worship things, the Lord Jesus is our life. It says in First uh, John that this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The definition could not be clear. And because He is our life, and He gave us life and gives us breath each day to live, worry is a sin against him. And worry is one of those sins that so easily ensnares us. Very easy to start going down that road. So all those who do not know that Jesus Christ is eternal life have great reason to worry. And all those who know him have life and are commanded here not to worry. This is not about reasonable prudence or you know, reasonable planning or foresight. The Lord here is forbidding us not to worry And worry takes the joy out of our lives and distracts us from true life in Him. God gives life in Christ, and so we should trust Him for the things which are necessary to support life. Letter E, we worry because we misunderstand our value to our Heavenly Father. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The point is not that birds don't work. They work, if you ever watch birds, they work quite diligently. They work hard. Uh, but they don't worry. In fact, uh, you know, they don't worry. What they do is they sing. And as I got thinking about this, well, maybe we should just sing more than we worry. That'd be a good solution. Matthew Henry said this He that provides, God, he that provides for inferior creatures without their labor will much more provide for us by blessing our labor, which he has made our duty. Birds trust instinctively in their Creator's providence, and brothers and sisters, so should we. Luke 12, verse 24 says basically the same thing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And the answer to that is, you are so valuable and so loved that the Lord of life came and became like you and died for you and paid the penalty for you, the penalty of your breaking of his law. And the more we grasp our value to him, the more we we truly understand what the gospel is, and the less we will worry that he won't provide all that we need. Later in Luke 12, verse uh, 32, the Lord said uh, something I've been meditating on this week, as I still am, but it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, our inheritance is also beyond comprehension. Just like His great love for us, we are so wealthy we can't even begin to grasp it. And it is God's good pleasure of His free grace, because He values us as His own, to abundantly give to us like this. It's His pleasure to give us the kingdom. So, how can we justify continued worry? when we have an inheritance like this awaiting us because we are so valued and loved by our Heavenly Father. Letter F, we worry because we think our worry actually accomplishes good things. It actually does something. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You know what a cubit is? It's about 18 inches. And some of us shirt people maybe have wondered about this, but... Uh, it doesn't help, does it? I mean, well, I guess I've worn stilts before, and that worked, but very temporary. But, uh, now, the meaning here is, can we add to the length of our life at all? Can we do that by worrying? Well, no, of course. The answer is no. In fact, worry has clearly been shown to shorten our lives. Heart disease increases with worry, ulcers, stress-related illnesses. Uh, all of that reduces the quality and length of our lives And that is not a good way, brothers and sisters, to take care of the body that our master has given to us. Worry is not good stewardship. In Luke 12, the Lord pointed out, if then you are not able to do the least of these, the least, why are you anxious for the rest? You know, worrying does not make us able to add even the shortest amount of time to our lives. So it is useless and not pleasing to the Lord to worry about that which we cannot know or cannot do. And yes, we are called to work and provide and create, but to do it all as we trust in him and rely on his grace and thank him for enabling us to be involved in this work. What do you have that you did not receive? Unless he had created it all and unless he gives to us, we couldn't even meet the least of our needs on a daily basis. Faith accomplishes great things because it brings us to the storehouse and it brings us to our provider. We do not accomplish much by worrying, unless you call poor health an accomplishment. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Well, lastly, letter G. We worry because we don't want to let God provide in his time, in his way, in his sovereign way. In other words, for his glory. We simply don't live by faith. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now you all know that in his time Solomon was really decked out. There are very few who existed at that time who had more glorious wardrobe. He wore fabulously rich clothing. But none of it compared to the beauty of even one flower. And the beauty of flowers is, of course, beyond our ability to imitate. Yet if God so clothes, clothes them that way, as short-lived as they are, will he not much more care for us, his chosen people? And this section ends by calling warriors you of little faith. So maybe instead of being called worry warts back then, the worriers were called little faiths. Paul explained to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out except the eternal treasure that I've mentioned that can be sent on ahead. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Most non-Christians and many, non- many Christians try to ease their worry uh, by being greedy or by hoarding. And do not let the Lord provide in his wonderful ways, his creative ways, in his perfect time, which pleases him. Because it's by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So I'd ask the question, are you developing the habit of asking him to provide? In all the, even in those ways you think, mm, I got this covered." Are you letting him? Are you coming to him and asking, "Will you let him provide, trusting that he will?" If you then, being evil, being a sinner, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So to review, we worry because our treasure is in the wrong place and because uh, possibly we don't understand what lasting treasure is. We worry because we aren't generous with our treasure, our wealth, our possessions on this earth. We worry uh, because we try to serve two masters. We take our eyes off of our only master. We misunderstand what true life is. We misunderstand our value to our Heavenly Father. We think worry actually accomplishes something, and we don't want to let God provide in his time and in His, his way. So the question would be, as we go on, how do we stop worrying? We're commanded to. We have the ability to do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's a couple of practical suggestions from the Word of God. First of all, ask the right questions to the right person. We all ask questions, but we have to ask them in the right way, at the right time, to the right person. Therefore, verse 31 and, verses 31 and 32, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now remember that I mentioned earlier that to the people of uh, the time, when Jesus, the people to whom Jesus was speaking, they stored up food as much as they could uh, as a measure of wealth. Well, it is a legitimate need, right? You you need food. It's a legitimate need, as is clothing. And certainly water is too. It talked about drink. You know, what shall I drink? It's a dry place. Uh, So they needed water. Um, and they liked wine. Good wine was a valuable commodity. Uh, and unbelievers sought and are still seeking after these things as an end in themselves, as their, their security, really, because they are not citizens of heaven and their idols cannot provide ease from any worry they have. But before the Lord uh, taught the disciples, uh, gave them the pattern of prayer earlier in this chapter in Matthew 6, he said, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So he knows what we need before we ask, but he commands us to ask in faith. So our questions uh, to ourselves about our necessities should not be out of worry. They should not be out of despair. Like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat today? I don't know. Uh, concerning necessity. What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Or any number of other questions regarding our necessities. You know, Like, what am I going to do about this situation? I, have, I don't know what to do. It's facing me, I have to do something. What am I going to do? Now if we're asking those questions to ourselves in fear, it shows that we don't really trust that he knows our needs. We don't trust him. And that is the sin of unbelief. Now the better questions to ask ourselves as reminders, really, are for uh, example, who is my provider? points us to him who has promised to provide for me will i trust in him what promises can i should i cling to those are questions we should ask which will cause us to cease worrying because they will cause us to come to the one who can and will provide and then we'll be asking the right questions in faith through prayer which is the right way to the right person and we will thus be seeking the lord who provides which is point b but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, all these necessities that you might uh, worry about. Now, Lord Jesus is king, king of the true and the lasting kingdom, the one where our treasure can accumulate. And it's a very wise thing to seek his kingdom first, to make that the priority of our lives on any given day. And it's a very wise thing to seek the king of righteousness and thus grow uh, in his righteous character rather than sin against him by our worry. So we should expend our energy. We're going to expend energy anyway. Let's expend our energy first and foremost on every given day, seeking him, not in worry. And worry expends a lot of energy. So all these things, all these things, the necessities that we worry about so much, are just added to us. They're just given to us. And even beyond our necessities, of course, by his grace, as we seek him first. Those who are busy, Seeking him will not waste so much time and energy by worry. In Colossians 3, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's your treasure. Set your mind on things above. Well, Lastly, we are called to live by faith today. Verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As you get older, you will realize that. There are some days it's more of a lot. And there's usually enough challenge in any given day for all of us to exercise the faith that the Lord is developing in us. Pray about tomorrow. Cling to his promises for tomorrow. Commit your fears and worries about tomorrow to the Lord. And so you will be living by faith today, not presuming that you have strength to deal with tomorrow's trouble also. And again, worry is the sin of unbelief and the sin of fear. And we have to confess, brothers and sisters, that that is sin. And repent by turning in faith to the Lord and turning daily to his promises. The word is our life. And we're fools to be away from it. I'd like to conclude with two quotes from two people I highly respect. First of all is John Newton. Second is Corey Ten Boom. And John Newton said, we can easily manage if we will only take each day the burden appointed to it, but the load will be too heavy for us if we carry yesterday's burden over again today, and then add the burden of tomorrow before we are required to bear it. A lot of burden. And then Corey Ten Boom said something similar. Worry, worrying, is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Brothers and sisters, in obedience, we must ask the right questions to the right person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and exercise faith daily is a gift of god and may the lord keep us from being consumed and being weakened by worry we weren't made for that let's pray lord of all you are our provider and our master forgive us for the sin of worry for not seeking you first for not trusting in you and your precious and very great promises Lord, develop in us hearts which trust in you and know the joy of laying up treasures in heaven, those invested in your kingdom. Open our eyes to see that you value us and you love us far beyond what we can comprehend and enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to please you by walking by faith in your provision, in your timing, in your way. And may we be so focused on you that we will worry less and less and glorify you as the Lord who bought us, and cares for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Master, we ask this. Amen.